You know what our stories contain that contain our purpose and our power? You don't believe me? Look into your own story. I guarantee you will find little nuggets, treasures that help you to understand your life and why you're here. I'm Amanda Solar. I'm the host of Soulful Connections, the podcast, and SoulfulLiving.com. And I'm so happy I get to share with you people who are willing to explore their own journeys and how they've overcome trauma, how they found joy in even the mundane, from top business and community leaders to my friends and family who are just trying to figure it all out. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. Let's talk about connection. Let's talk about connection. Let's talk about it. The time has finally come that I get to interview William Aronson, only the best songwriter, singer, song producer. And Bill, you may or may not know this, but Bill wrote the theme song for the Soulful Connections podcast. He even named it because I thought it was going to be just music, but then he used the word connections and lo and behold, Soulful Connections. So in this podcast that you are about to hear, my friend Bill talks about his musical journey. It's really interesting. And I'm fascinated by the fact that Bill has never stopped with his music, no matter what he does, no matter what direction it takes, music is a foundation of his life. And I find that fascinating. Also, stay tuned because this episode contains a little surprise. (laughs) So welcome to Bill Aronson, William Aronson. And you may know Bill if you are a regular listener to this podcast, because Bill is the music of Soulful Connections. So he wrote, sings, produced the music for this podcast. So first of all, thank you so much for that. My pleasure. I was glad to come on board, even though I couldn't get to the actual podcast for a while, but I felt like I was always a part of it. So thank you. You were a part of it before it ever even began, the Soulful Connections, when you named it because... We discussed it during the shutdown, the lockdown, the pandemic. And it it was really strange because like watching you grow, I was going to state that when you were, you know, I knew you were coming, obviously. And, uh... I was just going to state that, you know, how far you've come in, in all your podcasts. You know, I watch them and they just progressively, you. you learn something every time. But the main thing was you followed through. I did. You didn't just talk about it. No. You created it and it went. So Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. Well, I'm really excited to have you on, Bill, because one of the things that I've always wanted to talk to you about, and I have talked to you about this <laughs> behind the scenes. Yes. Um, I'm always enthralled and intrigued 
when somebody has a passion like you do for music and they don't let it go, they, speaking of follow through, they follow that passion and they keep going. So first of all, what is that? What keeps you going? I think it's the creative aspect. I was, uh, I've been involved in many different things, uh, you know, covering other people's songs, uh, you know, for a living, uh, uh, creating my own stuff, you know, basically in my basement and nobody would hear it. But then I was able to start sharing a little bit of that. And I, I realized that it's something that never, if you really truly love it, I, I had aspiration. I still have aspirations. Things still happen over the course of years, but I, love that. I always, you know, the brass ring. You yeah. know, um, I always thought that at some point I would be touring by the time I was in my late twenties. And for all intents and purposes, the band that I was in at the time, we were being groomed for that professional management, all of that. But then when that goes away and then you start realizing what you really like doing it, uh, you know, like the purpose of it was to create something. And mm -hmm. I really got into songwriting. And once I got multi-track capabilities and could start layering my own music and be self-sufficient, I just, uh, I went, you know, gangbusters on it. And I just love the process. And at my ripe old age now, uh, of whatever 22. Age, yes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm still into it and I'm into it as much. And, um, you know, the person, you know, that's here with us right now, George Adi, that helped us set all of this up. Uh, he is just one of, uh, you know, a, like a, a posse of people mm. that we all interact and song, you know, write songs with each other. And uh, to this day, it gives us purpose to still go out and enjoy each other's company, enjoy creating music together. So it never ends. Okay. So I'm going to take it like way back to the beginning okay. of little Billy's life. <laughs> so when did music enter the, like, what was your childhood like? Can you just share a little bit of what growing up was like? And so I was, I was born down South. I, I didn't even get up into this area until 1969. So I was born in North Carolina. I'm a Tar Heel. Oh. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and at an early age. And I heard a lot of, of course, country, country Western at the time, there was no crossover. It mm. was like country country, right, that's but right. then the Beatles and, and then, you know, started hearing soul, you know, it, it, it was like a, just a conglomeration of all kinds of stuff. I was fascinated with it, but. I never expected to be a musician or get into that field. I really wanted to be, I love to draw. I love comic books, had a huge comic book collection. And um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted, my dream was to illustrate, like later on, I was like, if I could work for Mad Magazine, that would be awesome and live in New York and, you know, so. So were you at all, like, were you in the choir or the band or did your mom and dad get you music lessons. No, you know, surprisingly, I will tell you the one thing that inspired me when I was down South, uh, they had this Magnavox system, uh, these huge like consoles. One had the record player in it, the oh, other right. one would hold the albums. Yep. And uh, 
I have it down in my home demo studio now. It's like a part of me, but I, I probably chewed on it when I was a kid, right, you know? Right. But we listen to so much music and my sister is seven, eight years older than me. And she really turned me on to a lot of cool music too. And uh, it's kind of funny. One of the stories I like to tell when you're down there is that my sister reminds me that when she would uh, uh, babysit us, so to speak, um, my brother would always tell on my sister for playing records on that player. I guess that was, you know, that was sacrosanct to, right. you know, like to my parents, but, yes. but she would lock them in a room, in the bedroom. <laughs> so we would jam out the song, but I really didn't get an inclination to start playing until I came up uh, North uh, and moved into New Jersey and Willingboro. And uh, I think I was 10 years old. And uh, one of my friends, uh, Mark Moon, alias Mark McGowan, alias Mark Brandamarty, but he called himself Mark Moon because his dad, Joe Moon, was a professional drummer. And Mark is an awesome drummer. Um, I met him and I kind of learned a little bit about music through him. And I actually bought my first hodgepodge drum set off of him, uh, of which I still have a couple of pictures in my garage but my mother said may she rest in peace she said if you earn half the money for that kit and she didn't have a lot of money she goes i will give you the other half so i went to pathmark supermarket in edgewater park new jersey and did what uh, was called uh, hustling carts for three days so you would <laughs> you couldn't do that now but you would follow a person to their car and when they opened the trunk you would start helping them in with the bags oh, yes. now aside from the occasional tire iron that was swung <laughs> at my head i made that work and in three days i made wow. the money and my mom held true and said uh, i'll pay the other half so i bought my first drum set and the rest is history i just started going from that point on so you play the drums yeah that's my that was my main instrument that, and what about today do you play any other instruments i play all other instruments so i can multi-track but okay. i learned how to open tune guitars because i don't know theory i don't know chords but i know how to keep a guitar in tune to e-tuning or in my case detuning um but I, I, I can play the guitar so every fret on a guitar, you know, those separated I frets mm -hmm. is a chord. Oh, okay. So that's how I learned because I got tired of trying to write music and always waiting for musicians to come over and say, hey, we're going to do X, right. Y, and Z. Oh, and then they wouldn't show up, you know, like two hours before. Well, you know, I dropped an egg on the floor and I got to clean it up. So I'm probably not going to make it today, you know. So uh, a friend of mine, Rick Moran, taught me how to open tune a guitar. And ever since then, the rest, you know, like That's I just took crazy. off. So you met this friend and then was he performing? Is that how you said, yeah, I want to do that too. And then. Oh, Mark, yeah. uh, the drummer. Yeah. Uh, he was starting to perform. Okay. We were doing stuff in high school. He also wanted to sing. So he would go out in front. And when I learned how to play a little bit, I could back him up, which was okay. great. But um. He used to, at a young age, he was able to do gigs with, uh, you know, like pretty cool bands, you know, cover bands and stuff because he was that good. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he was really, and he still is. He just, uh, you know, uh, doesn't play as much anymore. But So can you remember the first time that you actually ever played in front of an audience? 
I'm trying to recall. It, it's very hard to remember because it's just like all such a blur. But yeah. I believe it was probably in junior high when a first significant audience. Okay. And my friend Mark, uh, he had grand grand ideas and we had like strobe lights and we had black lights because back in you know the 70s that was the thing right right and uh he even found this headstone somewhere you know like it was kind of uh the <laughs> name of the band was armin i think or something but anyway he did this one song he wrote called rising from the dead you know it was this concept it's almost like alice cooperish right and um he would lay he laid back and the tombstone was behind him. It was an antique, like an ancient tombstone from, I don't know. I don't know if he found it in a graveyard, but knocked over, but I never asked. But uh, <laughs> anyway, he, he popped up and he was singing as he was coming up. Oh my And, and you know, the black lights. Meanwhile, are you're in junior high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the kids, of like course. Our, our peers loved it. They I would like, think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So that's, that was probably one of the biggest audiences. And wow. ironically, I had um, uh, digestive issues when I was a kid. And when I went to auditoriums early on, before I really started playing on a regular basis, the thing that made me the most sick was loud music. I could not sit in an audience and watch a band. I would get nauseous and I'd have to run and oh, I'd have to run to the bathroom and I would actually get physically ill. So it, I don't even know how this happened. Isn't like, where's the transition? Crazy. Yeah. And yet you could perform and you didn't, Right, I would think. Otherwise, you'd be like, one second, folks. Right. The, the performance was different. Because yeah. I, and maybe it was a control issue. But, um, you know, I remember being, you know, under these uh, uh, huge, like, you know, ancient X-ray machines. They look like, you know, spaceships, you know, and they would point down on you. You would wow. drink barium. And, yes. you know, so it was pretty intense. That is intense. But how I... You Went know, from that to yeah. yeah. Still now I perform, but still to this day I do. I have certain habits, like when uh, when my wife gets uh, you know uh, secures uh, concert tickets, uh, I tell her get the end seats. You know, just because yeah, I, I so still have that. You know, it's in my head. It's you know. So, but you, I I love playing, and I love you know I love seeing concerts. I've seen a zillion of them. You know, over the years, once I conquered that. Yes. Wow. So when you said you were being groomed, you know, or oh. what was that experience? What was happening? Oh, in the, well, that, yeah, we have to shoot up to the eighties. So I was in a band called So Sydney. It was a new wave original band. And we were in the basement rehearsing for almost a year before we went out because these guys had the right idea, you know, that they were, Three of them uh, were, uh, two were Temple students and one was a LaSalle student, so locally. And um, they all had good, like, business heads and acumen. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of them is an attorney now. Oh, but, but they also knew how to handle the music business. And uh, our drummer from that band, actually, Mike Gendler, uh, he's a full partner in uh, EBE, Eddie Bruce Entertainment. And they oh, right. handle like corporate, yeah, corporate uh, bands and wedding bands and you know like real deal stuff. But um, we were being groomed. We signed on with Golden Guru Entertainment. Uh, Larry Goldfarb was the president, and the bands that we were uh, in the same stable with were uh, uh, people like Jeffrey Gaines, uh, Flame and Harry, 
Right. Heaven's Edge. Um, I know I'm going to miss something. Schoolie D, who was considered like one of the original, you know, the godfather of gangster rap, I guess. Um, but we were in some pretty heavy company. And uh, we we were doing like high profile gigs and stuff like that. We did we did like a private party with David Gilmore, okay. uh, you know, when the, when Pink Floyd came back on on tour for the first time with Momentary Lapse of Reason, they needed a place to uh, play between their two nights because they were celebrating being on the road with all their auxiliary players. So our management had those kind of connections. He called us up and uh, his mm-hmm. friend owned I think it was the Arch Street Empire. Or, or whatever it was, or uh, I can't remember the name of the club offhand, right. but uh, I know that he said, bring your backline stuff, which is all our gear and get a PA and get down here. You're, you're going to be doing stuff with Pink Floyd. And, you know, at first we were like, yeah, sure. Right. You know, what kind of, you know, is, is it April 1st? <laughs> right. So we went down there and we started playing and about song three. I noticed one of the band members, the other band members coming in. I don't know if it was like, you know, Nick Mason or Rick Wright or somebody, but coming in and then David Gilmer, I saw him walk in. I'm like, this is really happening. So after five songs, they said, okay, he's ready to play now. And we, you know, very, you know, like, uh, it was like, how soon can you come up? Right. So he, the rest of the night, it was him and all of his auxiliary guys playing cover songs. I think oh. David Gilmore did a cover of Reeling in the Years by Steely Dan. Yeah. And I was just mesmerized. I have pictures of that. So at that point, mm-hmm. were you like, okay, I am like poised to be. We thought so. We, yeah. did, a, we did a big gig with, uh, we won the Eagle Raidways 106 contest of which your uh, best friend, uh, Lorraine Kilcheski, her now husband, Michael, was in one of the bands that we competed against, the top yes. six. You know, yes. I, and, and uh, yeah, which is a weird connection. In yeah, that is itself. a weird connection. Yeah. yeah. But um, we won the Ray Waves contest, and, it, and, it, and all of a sudden the doors were open to like Eagle 106 when they were a big, you know, like pop rock station. Mm-hmm. And we would always go on air, go down to Balakinwood and go on air. And we flew to Toronto as a result of winning it. And recorded a song at uh, Sounds Interchange in Canada, in Toronto, where Rod Stewart, I think, had recorded Blondes Have More Fun and all that. So it was a legitimate studio. Came back and we would get radio, you know, some radio airplay, mostly on that station. MMR and some of the other stations would give us more like original band night, uh, you know, like slots and stuff. But um, and did a high profile gig at... uh, Valley Forge Convention Center, which is now something else. Got it, right. Um, uh, it's a casino now. Okay. But we played uh, the Eagle 106 Rave Waves contest winner slot opening for a uh, band at that time, a huge pop band called the uh, Jets. Oh, they were yeah. like Samoan, yeah, Cross My Broken Heart. Totally. That I kind of remember stuff. the Jets, yeah. So we did that concert, and it was a Caramello-sponsored concert. You had to, you know, each kid, if they wanted to get a ticket, had to, you know, turn in like X amount of Caramello mm-hmm. bar wrappers. <laughs> but that was probably one of the largest audiences yeah. we played with. And there, you know, there's some footage from that gig. And it was like, we were like, wow. We're we done. It. We're it. Yeah. And, you know. So then... When did you, did you go, did you hit a point where you're like, this isn't happening? Or... It seems surreal. Sure. Yeah. 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 It was, it was all, you know, like 
accolades that you get. And we had, and you're uh, like, my dream is coming true, right? Well, it seemed you. even more possible only because the guitar player in our band, Johnny Getz, his brother, Jimmy Getz played for a band called Brooklyn and Brooklyn was already signed to A&M records okay. uh, with Cornerstone management. That were the people that owned the cabarets at the time, Chestnut, uh, 23 right. East cabaret. Uh, so it seemed like, it was possible because, well, his brother did it. Why couldn't we? Right. And you know, you're so. on your way. Yeah. Did it ever get to a point where you're thinking, oh, wait, this is not happening or this is turning a corner or something or it's kind of slowing down? You, we could kind of tell momentum was slowing down. And I think we were kind of when our trajectory was going up, we didn't know that there was something happening in Seattle that was going up too. And that was grunge. So new wave was, you know, we were kind of crossing over. So by the time we got, you know, to 89, 90, all of a sudden Nirvana. When I heard smells like teen spirit on the radio for the first time, I'm like, we're done. Really? That's what I, I just was kind of like, I had that epiphany already. I'm like, first of all, I love this song. (laughs) Secondly, (laughs) we're done. Okay, so I have a question because you are one of the most cheerful people that I know. You just bring the sunlight. Aww. You do. Did you retain that? Did you, or did you go like, oh my gosh, this is my dream and it doesn't seem to be happening? No, like, there, what? Were, there were dark times. I had, I had bad habits. It's, it's <laughs> typical of the old VH1, you know, like, you know, behind the music. Yeah, yes. yeah, because there was a lot of behind the music and, yeah. and I had habits and it wasn't always cheerful. And I, you know, I, uh, I uh, had a previous relationship that, you know, I brought too much baggage to, you know, so okay. there were all kinds of, I mean, I'm very, you know, I'm very grateful now, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I'm blessed with, you know, family, you know, my daughter, I love her, you know, like, yeah. I, but I, you know, and I, I'm here and I'm in it. House, like everything was very transient prior to that. Yeah. And I had some dark days, but I always found the best way to kind of make those things go away was to keep the drive going and, mm. and, and try to stay focused on being grateful for what you do have. Wow. What's yeah. under your feet. Is yeah. that what got you through, do you think? Yes. All, yeah. all the time. And, yeah. and plus my, my, my friend, uh, Billy Barnett, bringing me into the fold of, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, Christianity and Mm. just because I grew up in a split household. My father is Jewish. My mother was Episcopalian. So I always came up with like these dual ideas, but I always felt like, you know, there was a, you know, I was more, I was closer to the, the Christian principle than I was to, you know, like, uh, and they're very close. Judeo-Christian, you know, they're, you know, it's just, you know, it's just Jesus was you... either a prophet or he was the son of God, you know, so right. that's where I came. But I think that also, I, I guess the impetus of that was, uh, I wasn't trying to be preachy, but I, I that's where my right. faith came, started coming in. And I was like, once I got baptized, I felt like everything just lifted from me. And then so I was like, I started over and uh, those, you know, those kind of things kind of, uh, you know, propelled me. And that was a couple of years before the So Sydney. Uh, venture, but it, it just, it was there with me. And when those dark, dark days come down, those are the kind of things you need to do. And right. then, you know, we got another chance to do it. We actually, in the mid 90, early to mid nineties, I was in a band called 25 miles and we actually signed you an independent record label 
using like two, you know, like high powered attorneys in Philly to negotiate the thing. And um, we recorded a, a complete record, you know, what would have been a record up in Long Island, New York. We had to take several trips, you know, with that Verrazano Ridge traffic, which oh, I can just go. The worst. But um, I scream. Like, I, I think I actually scream while we're going over Yeah, there. so <laughs> because you know you can't go anywhere. You can always No, scream. I think we're never going to make it. But, uh, but uh, we did that and we got signed and then got chopped just as quickly. So that was kind of a, a wake up call. Uh, I remember I remember three of the four of us taking the train up to Manhattan and going in for this meeting in our new because our, our, our independent label merged with another independent label in the city because the the uh, Raven Records was based in Long Island, the one we signed with. And then they merged with another company in New York City. So we went to the office, waited and we waited and we waited. And then they came out and said, well, they can't really see you today. So we already knew the writing was on the wall. Yeah. And then, so, so we went back, that was the quietest train ride I think I've ever taken. Oh my gosh, I bet. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just. Yeah. But luckily the president of our record label let us out of our contract because he could have held us in limbo and just held us riding out. But he let us go. But it's still, I didn't want to let it go. I was, it was very sad, yeah. you know, so it, but, but those are the kind of things, you know, and then you get successful stuff, yeah. you know, like. Those are the things that shape you though. They really do. And right. those are the things that, because there must be something within you that's just a resilience, you know. You have to, you have to. It's like, you know, like when, when you uh, eschew like your bad habits you need to have that willpower, but I think you need willpower for everything. And, you know, the state of the world, we've oh, talked yeah. about it before we many have. times. Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do the same thing though. Like we're kindred spirits yeah. that way where you, you have to slough off because you know, it's going to be there. You know, there's a lot of uh, adversity in this world, Yeah. but you've got to carry that light because otherwise you're just going to, you know, you're just going to uh, surrender right. to the darkness and you can't do that. No. And the thing that really is always seeming like it is a constant for you is music. You're going, okay, if I'm not going in this store, I'm going in this store. If I'm not doing this, I'm going to do this. That seems to be your... You you hit the nail on the head. It is so true. But it's all enjoyable. I want it to be thing, you know, is something that I enjoy at any given time. I have occasionally been part of, Something that, you know, like for one for a three year period uh, that was a, a cover gig, you know, I was getting paid for it, but it was just a series of every time I tried to be happy, the rug was like pulled yeah. out from under oh, me and it just right. became like three years of like, I just, I guess I have to finally put the death knell on this thing, right. you know, so it does. But, but I think for the most part, you're right. A door, 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 right? Yeah. Uh, and you oh. always are performing. Well, and I know this because I tried to do the podcast and you're always busy. You're always performing somewhere and you're always creating and you're, well, that's funny. You, you know, like I, I can say that you were, uh, you tried to be instrumental. You were right there with me, uh, with my Wawa jingle. Yes. When I, you know, after I met Chris guys and uh, yes, the, his CEO you know, of, yeah, the of CEO Wawa. of Wawa, courtesy give, of you in the me, chamber yes. when you work for give the Give me chamber. that DVD or the CD. We'll get that to him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we did. 
And he expressed interest in this while watching. Go, you're a great songwriter. Well, thank you. I you're. I thought that that you know I get more mileage out of that, and I you know I do still appreciate that you really tried to push that, and you actually pushed it across the table. But he already knew who it was. Yeah, which was even cooler. So yeah. Like but, before we go, yes, <laughs> no, there's one more little yes, thing. Yes, but Chris. you did. Yeah, yeah. I like the way yeah. that you uh, sidled in there. But yeah, always, always. Um, what about so all of the things that you've experienced? You're now, you know, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a community person you're one of you're a business person yeah well my day you know, job kind of uh you know at true brew coffee yeah. service which is how i met you yeah and uh brad and everybody yeah at the sally yeah yeah sally yeah uh, even don when don was there you know absolutely, years ago absolutely yeah so yeah. uh but the, that's how that all came about but i met so many people and i think that really opened my eyes uh, to the fact that I've lived in this community in Doylestown for, uh, since, uh, 1999, the year before I, uh, uh, was, uh, married to, uh, my wife, Ken. Okay. And, uh, I, um, you know, that's how I met so many people. And then all of the cross, you know, it's like a oh, basket. It's so true. Weave. It's so true. The, the connection. Yeah. It, once again, the connection that keeps, you know, but that's what we talked about initially Which i didn't even know we were talking about it bill until you sang the song I'm like were we talking about that yes we were <laughs> and, and even during the pandemic i think yeah. the loss of connection was what really yes was uh, you know hurtful yes it was very tough on you know especially we're social creatures we're connectors yeah you know? and yeah. Uh, it, it was very tough to live without that for a while so what do you tell your daughter your father do oh. you give her any advice about, you know? I say, Chloe, clean your room. Yeah. That's what I say. Oh, aside <laughs> from that, okay. Um, Wait, yeah. does she actually do it? Because I need to, she, I need tips if that you actually know what? works. I will tell you, Amanda, if you're, if you, you know, if you, you know, if you, you know, more bees with honey than vinegar, right? Yes. So if you're, you know, good about it. Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah, She's yeah, a good yeah. kid. Yeah. She studies hard. That's great. Uh, but uh, I, I do give her advice because she is in choir now and she's uh, pursuing more music music uh, related classes in, uh, in her uh, high school. And she is learning, she's hung around all of us long enough where she okay. knows what the dynamic is. And uh, you know, she'll ask for advice every once in a while. And her mother is in such, she graduated from Berkeley in Boston. Oh. Uh, school of music with a degree in music production. So she's surrounded by music. Yeah, she is. So she can't help but at least have some kind she's of She's probably got in it. it in the DNA and she's also got it in just the air yeah. that she breathes living with both of you, I'm sure. Yeah, pretty much. So for you, so what are you working on now? Are you working on new music? Or are you... All kinds of stuff. Yeah, so we, um, Aside from the stuff that uh, we do with, uh, you know, uh, like we mentioned earlier, George. Yeah. Our third party here. <laughs> That's and, right. Uh, you can't see Jeff him. Jeff Lohan and Billy Barnett and Doug Kilgariff and, and all of our mutual friends. We um, were working on a song now that we've almost finished with our with our pal Joey Stout. And there's another weird thing. So the studio that I'm working at now, uh, I record a lot of my stuff down in the basement. And then I transfer it to this guy's studio, Joey Stout. But the way that I met Joey Stout 
was uh, through uh, the guy that taught me the open tune guitar thing, Rick Moran. And I recorded there, but also um, Joey, apparently my wife's first job years ago out of Berkeley back in the uh, late 80s or early 90s was at Cajun Recording Studio in Philly where Joseph Stout worked. So she knew Joe before I knew Joe. So weird. <clears throat> Such a know. web. <laughs> but that's what we're doing now. We're working on a song called Spite uh, that Billy uh, Barnett and myself, uh, we were uh, wrote and recorded back in 2019. Now, he has a band from back in the So Sydney area, uh, era rather called The Blenders. And I had become. So you become the unofficial drummer for the blenders. Yeah, unofficial official okay. because the other drummer couldn't make it. I was always trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, talk these guys into a reunion. Mm -hmm. And so the reunion finally happened. We did a couple of small ones, but then we did a big one at a place called, ironically, The Union. So it was a reunion at the, at union. the union back in right. 2019, I want to say. Uh, and uh, actually, the opening band, it was uh, some of my originals uh, that I did with George, with uh, Jeff Lohan, and um, i trying to think of who else. Uh, who was it, George? You can shout out that one. Doug yeah. Kilgariff, right? He did the first one. <laughs> but he was from So Sydney. So all of these, once again, the interweave. Yes. But the song like that we wrote, Spike, Billy and I, uh, was based on the observation of all the people that showed up at the show. I had people from high school, from my graduating class, that came to see me that I hadn't seen in like, I don't know, 20 or 30 oh my years. Gosh, that's so it, cool. was just, it was bizarre. But I wrote this song basically is a, a song that um, relates to how we've all grown up into responsible adults, you know, and okay, we, were so, right. we were so the other way before. So we have that, but I'm also finally, hopefully it'll come to fruition. I'm working on uh, my Bill's department store project. That's something that I started uh, for songwriting uh, back in the 90s. So I could, you know, like instead of saying, oh, these songs are all by William Aronson, I wanted to have a band vibe. So Bill's department store was started for that, and I've used it ever since. And it's varying degrees. We've done live Bill's department store uh, gigs with, uh, you know, people like coming in and out of the fold. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to do a proper record, which I start recording down in my home studio here. And then I send it over to my friend, Joey Stouts in his studio where he uh, transfers it into his, uh, it's uh, Pro Tools software, which is like an industry standard and uh, separates all, you know, gets all the separated tracks and then, turns it in and gives my shine on it and, you know, like uh, helps me if there's anything, you know, uh, aberrant in there. Yeah. You know, any errant notes, which See, I, are a few. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I do have the feeling though that you're just getting started. Like I have that feeling. I hope I so. Really well, do. You, today we are doing this, uh, unfortunately, on the day of Burt Bacharach's passing, but oh, 94, I, I believe yeah. he was, but working into his 90s. See. You know, late yeah. 80s, early 90s. Yeah, that's I, inspiring. You know, with grace, yes. you know, hopefully I, you know, I can get a few more years out of mileage out of my body. Well, know. I was going to ask you what inspires you. What inspires me? Um, 
I think life and people inspire me and, and, and seeing their reaction when you, you know, you can provide joy because music over the years, I mean, I have a fairly decent collection. I'm not, I'm not, uh, in, you know, in the category of some of our other record collector friends, but, uh, I certainly have enough, you know, that, that, that I've come up with and I love all different genres as we've talked about you right. and your husband, Victor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think it inspires me because I know how much joy these bands provide me. I think yeah. one of my favorite current bands over the past few years has been a band called the killers. And we've seen them many a time and I just get inspired. I get goosebumps oh, when I hear great. some of the stuff that uh, they produce because it's kind of like, um, he went into like this anthemic kind of Springsteen ish vibe, which is awesome because I love Springsteen. <laughs> So yeah. I, I just put, I love, you know, when I, I, I just feel that joy and that uplift and I'm like, when times are dark, I see it all the time. I hear that music is a universal language yeah. uh, that, you know, it's almost like a trope. Yeah. And, uh, but it's true. I mean, it has some basis in, you know, uh, yeah. fact because when people are at their darkest, sometimes something like that helps them out and music so is the true. one uniter that seems at least for a little while that temporarily so to do that true, actually now that you say that bill because as divided as the world is and and it is really divided you know we can all agree on certain artists and we can all get right. together you're talking about a concert people are all together no matter what perspectives they have right. and they don't even know what their uh, other right. person's perspective That's is right. they're all out there you know pumping their fist and yeah and doing uh what is now the you know the old lighter trick you know the yeah. zippo now it's just the phone now it's just you the know. phone yeah. <laughs> i know i know i'm old enough to remember the zippos right yeah. i was there when it was an actual right. zippo lighter um so the proverbial magic wand question if you were given a magic wand and somebody said, okay, right now, I know that there are a lot of things that you might pick, but just for this moment, we're going to give you a magic wand and you can make one change in the world. You get to make one change. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it almost is a no brainer. My, my general change would be to just make the world the idyllic place that you would hope it was, you know, like I always hoped it would be when I like, with the naivete of a child, yeah. make it that kind of world where everybody just would, you know, like prosper. Nobody would be angry with each other. And, yeah. you know, just if, if, if I could wave a magic wand like that and make that all happen and, you know, and the environment would yeah. heal itself, yes. you know, those would, those would be the thing. That would be my general because everything else is cake after that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have human unity. Because really, it all starts there. If humanity is not getting along, you know, we always have to look over our shoulder, unfortunately. Yeah, we are. Like you're just saying, we are all connected. It's like this hand is actually having a war with this hand. Right. But they're the same, you know, body. So it's kind of crazy. Yes, we are totally biologically the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, you know, we just, it's when we start thinking about things. Yeah. and, And our perspective makes everybody different. Yeah. So you yeah. Know, that would be my magic wand. Love it. Well, Bill, number one, thank you for doing this. Oh. Thank you for having me in your beautiful home. Oh, thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. your behind the scenes friend, George. Yes. <laughs> and thank you 
for the gift of your singing and your song that I get to hear all of the time on the podcast. And it makes me so honored that I get to have this gift. So you were very kind. I, I appreciate that because it's, you know, hasn't always been that easy. So love it. And thank uh, you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for uh, having me. Finally, we did it. We did it. We did it. First one. one. First one. There we go. Monica. Okay. George is in the next one. Okay. That sounds good. I'm sure they would all enjoy it. Yeah, I think so. We'll get the crew. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. There you go. There's the next idea. Okay. I like it. Okay. Thanks for listening. And thank you, William Aronson, for a wonderful Soulful Connections theme song. If you like this podcast, I would so appreciate a great rating, subscription, follow, all that good stuff that you do with podcasts. And an extra thank you this time goes out to George Adi, who actually filmed this episode. You can see this episode of the Soulful Connections podcast on video, thanks to George's talents. Thanks, everyone.